0: What I came to discover is that there's a whole lot that goes on underneath the skin issues. Because it's on the outside, we fixate on the outside, which I almost feel like it's one of the biggest pitfalls that people get stuck in. They're like, what can I put on it? Mm. What oil can I use? And that is important. What you put on the outside is important, but what you do on the inside is equally as important. You're listening to Muscle Medicine, where we debunk the myths in the health and wellness world to bring you the latest updates in exercise, rehab, and nutrition from industry leaders. Join your host, Dr. Emily Kyberg, chiropractor and movement expert, as she brings you simple, actionable tips to reach your fullest potential.
1: Jennifer Fugo, I'm so excited to sit down with you today. You have this great podcast called Skin Interrupt, and this is a topic that's so near and dear to my heart. So, welcome to Muscle Medicine Podcast.
0: Thank you for having me. This is a real honor. Yeah. So,
1: I had eczema as a kid, and it was just like allergies and dog hair. This is what my mother thought, even though I was raised on McDonald's. <laughs> and,. <laughs> And then about five years ago, I started getting eczema on the palms of my hands, which is as a practitioner that does body work and chiropractic and strength training yeah. and has to pick up barbells and kettlebells all day was a major, major, it was, it was major. Like I would literally take a photo of my hand every single day to compare. And I had a little bit of eczema right on the outside of my mouth. I would love for you to just share your background as a practitioner, because I know you didn't start out as a practitioner, but now clinical nutritionist, and you were actually suffered from a skin condition
0: yourself. Yes. Well, what's funny is I can completely relate to the whole hand eczema thing, because that's what I had as well. And at the time when it started, I was going to CrossFit. And so (laughs) so I (laughs) I didn't pick up the barbells anymore. The one day which was, I think, one of the last times I've ever went to my box. I, You know, you, you always get dirty and cross it. Because, I mean, like, the boxes aren't, like, pristine gyms or whatever. And that's fine. That's part of their, the beauty of them. You know? Yeah, yeah. But I would always wash my hands afterwards. And I went in the bathroom to wash my hands. And the water burned so badly. Like, I didn't even get to the soap. Oh, yeah. I couldn't get to the soap. I know um, that feeling well. <laughs> yeah. And I just started to cry as I was in the bathroom, because I'm like, what am I supposed to do? I can't wash my hands. Does this mean I can't come back to the box? I mean, that was part of my, you know, it wasn't just where I worked out. It was also my friends, my social community. And it really impacted the way that I saw myself and ultimately what ended up happening. Because I mean, I work from home. So I'm basically around my husband half the year for the most part, when he is (laughs) off of his work and poor cats. So (laughs) you can imagine that losing this one thing that was part of my social circle and something that got me out and being active was devastating. And additionally, I also was teaching cooking classes at the time And you just imagine for anybody listening, so you're cutting up all this food, you know, with your hands. I mean, granted, I was wearing gloves because I couldn't touch any of it and I go wash my hands. But when you show up to present a meal to all of these people who've paid money to be there and to learn from you, and then they can see how messed up and gross and oozing and red and awful your hands look, they start to get a little like, hmm. I don't know about this. I'm not sure if I want to try that. Like what's going on in your hands? It makes people very uncomfortable. So I actually ended up having to completely stop teaching cooking classes. And I just saw these pieces of my life that I loved disappear as a result of how bad my hands had become and that I couldn't get it under control. I would go through these periods in the summertime where the rash would get so bad that it would be oozing, itching and I don't know if you experience those little like crystal looking pustules that form under the skin with dyshidrotic eczema when it affects your hands. Totally. Um, yeah that would then burst and it just was super itchy and it spread down my fingers. It, it was on. And by the way, for anybody thinking like, Oh, well, that's not too bad. It is bad. Cause it couldn't hold. I couldn't grasp a doorknob. I couldn't hold things because it hurt. like any type of friction would really be painful. So you take, we take for granted the things that we do every day, not realizing that when skin is damaged in that area, it can be debilitating. And even for people who have to walk or it's around a joint that in and of itself can be incredibly painful because every movement is affected. And so I went from having this horrendous like red angry burning rash to then in the fall and winter time because I live on the east coast, something that's like super dried out, every time I'd bend my fingers I'd get another cut. I would end up wearing the white cotton gloves all day with some sort of salve that I had found at Whole Foods because I was so desperate to just like try to not have any more cracks. And you can only use steroid cream so much. So I did come to this whole world in, in the health space, I guess we could say, as being a fan of it. My dad's a doctor and I just became very interested when I had a lot of gut problems, more on the diarrhea side of things, let's be honest. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> that was sort of always my MO, was diarrhea. Yeah. And I was a huge fan of like Dr. Mark Hyman and oh, yeah, totally. um, all of the big talking heads. Now are like, we, they're almost like household names at this point, but at the time it was so innovative and so cool and so different from what my dad was doing as a surgeon. And so I started a website and began interviewing people. And I just was really excited because of my own digestive issues and how food had impacted them that I really thought that that was at the moment, the end all be all, and that we had missed this whole critical piece of how diet can impact everything and that's that's it you know they they need to teach nutrition in in medical school and i do still believe that but i actually now know better that it is quite larger than just food alone and so i i decided to go to grad school and so actually my eczema started when i was in grad school because you know probably the sheer amount of stress that i was under did not help in addition to running a business full time and Absolutely. also <laughs> helping my parents with their business and just being a, a generally type a type of person what I came to discover is that there's a whole lot that goes on underneath the skin issues. Because it's on the outside, we fixate on the outside, which I almost feel like it's one of the biggest pitfalls that people get stuck in. They're like, what can I put on it? Mm. What oil can I use? And that is important. What you put on the outside is important, but what you do on the inside is equally as important. So I feel you, it's tough. It is definitely a tough situation when you're working with your hands. So
1: did you go through, because, you know, the first thing most people think is there's something on my skin, on my hand, I need to put the cream on or the natural cream or the whole foods cream. But did you go through the conventional medicine route of like steroid cream and, and that kind of stuff?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. my Well, again, my dad's a doctor. So my dad's yeah. like, yeah, here's some steroid cream. Now my dad, to be fair, my dad's an ophthalmologist, so he works on eyes, but- <laughs> He, he has was, access. To he's like, he's like, look, your your mother has some issues with rashes. We have some steroid. Try this, and it did help, but it kept coming back. And he did forewarn me. I am lucky. I consider myself very lucky that I have a father that is in medicine, but he's also pretty conservative when it comes to medication in general. So he was like, don't use this. like Don't slather it on. Do not use it multiple times a day. Only use the steroid cream as sparingly as possible and as few times a day as possible. If it can just be once, that would be best and as little as you can do and tolerate. But when I would stop it, the rash would come back. That was the issue is that I was like, okay, well, something's going on here. And of course I'm a Googler. So I went online and I'm looking at all the images to try and figure out what the heck I have. And I'm like, I think I figured it out. It's dyshydroidic eczema. So I make an appointment with the dermatologist because for some reason I don't know why I thought they would tell me something new, innovative, different. (laughs) Right? Maybe I'm missing something. And she's, I've said, so I've been gluten, dairy, and egg free for the last like six years, and so I'm doing that. And I eat mostly organic. We don't use any scented stuff, so it's all sensitive skin, or and no fragrance and blah 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 in our home. All natural cleaning products we do filtered water. like, I'm giving her the whole list. Cause I'm like, I don't want her to even have to tell me that stuff. And she's like, Oh, that's good. That's good. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you're good with the steroid cream and let's, you know, if, if it's really bothering you and your skin's drying out, let's try applying some Vaseline. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> You mean that that's why? The- and I was like, I was like, wait, like Vaseline, Vaseline. She's like, yeah, you know, you put the steroid cream on and then you slather the area with the Vaseline. And I'm like, you do know this is on my hands, right? And she's like, no, I know, but it, it'll help. It's a it's it's really an occlusive, so it'll keep the moisture in. And I'm like, So number one, this is utterly impractical. <laughs> You're gonna get Vaseline everywhere.
1: everywhere. <laughs>
0: <laughs> which nobody wants. Number two, it's a petrochemical. It's a derivative of a petrochemical and I'm like, I don't I understand that we use it in hospitals and I understand there might be a time and a place for it, but like I'm not comfortable doing that. And number three, nothing that she offered me as far as these suggestions were where anything that I couldn't have gathered from looking online, gotten from my father, she had no idea why I had it. She did say I was right. I did have dyshidrotic eczema, so at least I was like happy about that. But that was about it. And every time I would go back, it was just sort of more of the same. Like, well, I don't know. You could try this medication. You could try that. Like, they really didn't know what had caused this. Mm -hmm. Um, She didn't even ask about my lifestyle. Uh, Was I sleeping well? How was I eating? She just sort of assumed that everything was fine. And one thing in hindsight that I recognize now in doing a lot of research, it was likely the stressor of being in school, not eating very well for a consistent period of time. And granted, I was still maintaining my diet, but it had gotten a lot easier to get like gluten-free pizzas and gluten-free this and gluten-free... You know, pre-made stuff that was fast because I had to study a lot. So my interest, and I think my empathy, really came about, aside from all the suffering that I experienced, was that I had joined some groups online and like on Facebook that deal with these, these conditions. And I came to realize that I wasn't alone, but I was one of the few people that was really asking questions about like, why is this happening? Like, I I didn't need topical steroids before. Like, why do I need them now? It doesn't make sense to me. And so I went on this journey, thanks to my husband who really pointed out to me in one of my lowest moments where I thought I was just going to have to Like, I thought I was gonna have to close my business. I'm like, how, why would Mm. anyone wanna come see a clinical nutritionist that's got this horrendous rash? My nails had gotten really messed up. And he helped me see that it was an opportunity. It really was an opportunity to go on a journey and look deeper and say, well, if this is a puzzle, maybe you just haven't found the right way to put the pieces together yet. And maybe you're missing some pieces and you gotta look around because maybe they fell under the couch. You know, so it was an important point where someone on the outside who genuinely cared about me said, hey, Jen, let's put that, that thinking cap on and start looking in, at this from perspectives that haven't been considered yet. And that was really where my journey began. And once I was able to resolve my skin issues, which did by the way take time, I didn't yeah. see an improvement in flares for like six months. So I didn't even know if what I was doing was working. I didn't really see a true resolution for at least about a year. And it took longer for this the nails to finally grow back out correctly because they were all wavy and there was like pits and bumps and they just really were unattractive. However, those pictures of the people in these Facebook groups, and they still are, I still am in them. And it makes me so sad, like sad, angry, frustrated. And I was like, I can't, this isn't the end of my journey. It's the beginning to really help offer people... The options that no one's telling them about, and so that was how I ended up here.
1: What a blessing that your husband's like, keep digging deeper, and like, I know,
0: (laughs) I know. I'm really, you know, I think in one respect, I can understand when you start to pull away from life and you start to disconnect from people because that's a lot of times what happens because there's a lot of shame that happens with rashes, no matter where they are. You miss out on the opportunity to really have that connection. And I'm lucky. I mean, he stuck with me. So (laughs) he, he, and he probably was like, for crying out loud, figure this out. Because I was probably not the most wonderful person to be around at that point. I was pretty miserable. But he also said it from a space of love. He didn't want to see me suffer. And he's like, you know, you're a really smart person. You know, you have a lot of contacts. You can reach out to people. What are we missing here? That was an opportunity. And that's sort of where like Skin erupt came into it. It was like realizing that there's all these people in different areas, like GI or detox or hormone balance, gut issues, all sorts of different areas that nobody's really talking to one another. Like they focus on their particular niche, but they don't, nobody's overlapping, connecting the dots oftentimes to help people with chronic skin issues. And I'm like, Why not? Because the skin's usually the last thing to get fixed. It's a low priority organ. You can walk around with skin rashes and even like gashes as a result of them and open wounds. You're still breathing. But if your lungs have a problem, if your heart has a problem, if your kidneys have a problem, you've got an issue. So those are more high priority organs. And so that's why skin oftentimes takes longer.
1: Yeah. I feel like we've been on such a similar journey. Like I remember getting the steroid cream And it would burn. I was like, I have to chop my hand off. This is burning so bad. And then I would look at all the food intolerant. I literally kept a journal of like, I ate something, did it create burning in my hand or a flare up? And I kept it in Evernote. I have like months and months and months of food pictures (laughs) trying to correlate the two. And I think it's so important to have the resources like you to be able to put all the pieces together. So I'm part of um, Facebook groups too, of like skin conditions and eczema. And oftentimes it's always like, what do I put on it? But there's so many root causes to underlying chronic skin conditions, especially eczema. I mean, I remember asking the dermatologist, I was like, you have to biopsy this. And he like (laughs) biopsied it. And the (laughs) results came back. He's like, it's, it's eczema. And I was like, well, there's got to be something else. So what are some kind of hidden root causes that lead to eczema? Because it's never the skin, right? It's never... It
0: can, actually, so what's interesting with eczema, it can partially be the skin. Now, oh, whether, okay. so there's a lot of different connections and that's the piece that is super interesting. The first one that everybody likes to talk about is the gut. And I think that there's some pros to how functional medicine addresses gut issues that can be very helpful. But I find that their fixation initially on an elimination diet oftentimes is not very helpful, especially with skin stuff. And in fact, I found that most clients who just go, oh, well, it must be all of these foods and I'm doing some crazy, super restrictive diet, really struggle a lot because they're already miserable. And now you're taking away one other Piece of the puzzle that makes them feel normal. So if you're eating a junky diet, you should clean that up. Like that's a no brainer. I'm not saying that you should stick with McDonald's and stick with the junk. <laughs> Got to clean that up. I'm not giving you a, a pass on that. However, to just blame food. And that's typically the next step. You come out of the dermatologist's office, you're really frustrated. What else can I do? It must be food. So the next step is like, oh, okay, I've got to find the foods that are bothering me. You start Googling around. You're like, oh, there's an eczema diet and there's this diet and now there's this diet and is it nickel and is it histamines and is it... (laughs) I can't even say salicylates. I mean, we can go on and on and on about the many different food triggers that there are. Yeah. What I typically say is, look, number one, you got to clean up your diet. Okay. So if there's a lot, an excess of something. So if you're Tend to have a glass of wine every night. Maybe that's something that you say, hey, I'm going to give that a break for about three to four weeks and see if that makes an improvement in my skin. Or if you drink a ton of coffee, that might be something to say, hey, I need to slow that down. Coffee, by the way, actually impacts your liver and its ability to detoxify things. So, what can Mm -hmm. happen when there's two phases is that caffeine addresses phase one, pushes things through too quickly, and then you don't have enough of the ingredients necessary for the pathways, or I like to call them just recipes because it's easier to. Understand for phase two and things start to back up and can also cause issues. But basically, with the gut and in and of itself, you know, we have a nice little like I call it, you know, it's microbiome, but I call it the bug community. So we've got a gut bug community that everybody focuses on, but they forget about the community of bugs that live on their skin, which is actually different than what is on inside of you. And that's fine, but they do communicate. And they do so by different chemicals that are produced by the gut bugs, specifically called short chain fatty acids. And butyrate, which is one of those, is really important. And there's a lot of cool research that has come out supporting this interesting connection between those byproducts, so to speak, of the gut bugs and how we establish a healthy skin microbiome. So now you've got the skin microbiome. One of the most classical symptoms, so to speak, of eczema is this increase or presence of staph aureus on the skin, which really should not be there in a healthy individual. To be clear, the microbiome is not just bacteria. It can include fungal organisms. It can include mites and some parasites and those sorts of things. So don't get grossed out by that. It just is what it is. However, you don't want staph aureus on your skin, and so that's one of the really hallmark symptoms of eczema where we see this increase in staph aureus, and that causes a dysbiosis of the skin microbiome, and that can trigger all sorts of problems. So if you do develop a flare, I'm just going to say this, throw this out there, if you develop a flare and it gets really bad and it's oozing, go to the doctors, don't try... (laughs) I'm just going to say right now, because if you get a really bad staph infection and you let that go and you're trying to deal with it with like essential oils, it's really not safe. You don't want to have damage to your tissue or end up with really serious issue where you end up hospitalized. There is a time and a place for doctors. There is a time and a place for medications. We just have to be really smart about it and judicious about what we choose to include in our regimen or our protocol. It doesn't mean that you need to be on antibiotics for life or anything like that, but we have to be smart and judicious about when we choose to include them on our skin or taking them orally or not. If you have that in your background, by the way, of having taken a lot of antibiotics, even as a kid, so a long time ago, or you've had stomach poisoning or a stomach bug, or you've gotten food poisoning. There we go, food poisoning. Those are also red flags for setting the stage for having gut dysbiosis or gut imbalances where you open up the doorways, so to speak, to allow for other bugs that really shouldn't be living in the gut or that are opportunistic and then take the opportunity to overgrow once you get this kind of clean out of the GI tract. So it's really important that we have this established good connection between the inner microbiome and this outer microbiome. The other quick point about them is like we love to feed our microbiome in the gut fiber, but our skin actually eats oils. So if you've been afraid to put oils on your skin, this is a good reminder that oils are actually very healthy for the skin. Some of the better ones to choose would be things like avocado oil, olive oil, believe it or not. <laughs> I know it's lot of people are like, oh, these are like the stuff you eat. But yes, even safflower and sunflower oil, I know that we, wouldn't, we would avoid them in the diet because they're more on the omega-6 inflammatory side. But for the skin, there's actually research showing, especially for eczema, that they can be helpful. So those would all be really, really great options. Jojoba is also another great option. It's lighter. Sesame oil, which is more used in Ayurvedic, it's heavier, it's better for the winter time, and it does have a pretty intense smell to it as well, but that can be a great option. But your bugs that live on your skin, they consume oil. They, it's called a lipidome. So it's not when people are like, I don't want to put oil on my skin, it's going to clog my pores. That was my thinking for a long time because I had acne as a teenager. I can't put any oil on my skin. But in reality, we're slathering all these chemicals on our skin, not realizing that that's not what the microbiome actually consumes. It's not supportive of the microbiome. And some things like coconut oil are actually some of the worst possible things that you could put on your skin, believe it or not. And especially with eczema. And part of the reason is it's way too alkaline, it's too saturated, and it's too antimicrobial. Everyone (laughs) on
1: Instagram just gasped.
0: (laughs) I know. And that's one of the saddest things. There's also a problem in that, and I don't know if you've experienced this at all with your patients, but there is an increase in coconut allergies now as a result of us putting coconut in everything. It's not it's not a an emergency. <laughs> like I'm not saying it's the way like everyone's allergic. No. But I think we have to take a step back from saying, oh, well, this one thing is good for everything. And we should be slathering ourselves. We should just like create a big coconut and dunk ourselves in coconut oil <laughs> all the time. That's that's not the case. There's some concern within functional medicine based off of, and I will say this, that there were animal studies that indicated that sometimes coconut oil ingested can cause issues with your gut. And it's a little more complicated than I'd rather get into. But as far as the skin is concerned, I think the major concern here is that it it can be really irritating. And because eczema specifically has this hallmark issue of staph aureus, you already have dysbiosis. So what do you do? You slather that on, it kills everything. And then the bad stuff grows back faster. So, you don't really do yourself any help. It's not helpful. It's more of a disservice. And I've also had a number of clients who found that after they swapped out the coconut oil for things like jojoba or avocado, they found that the skin looked better it was less reactive and for some of them they realized they were actually allergic to the coconut oil or had developed an, an allergy to it so it helped really reduce the swelling and the inflammation and whatnot so that would be a big piece of it but we're also we also have to consider gut function some of the skin conditions are autoimmune. Like I know we're not talking about psoriasis, but psoriasis is an autoimmune condition along with like vitiligo, for example. Mm. You can also, if you have nutrient deficiencies, that's going to be a major problem because it does imp- impair your skin. It's a very nutrient hungry <laughs> barrier that we have to create, but you can have environmental allergies. Your genes play a role I'm happy to talk about there's one specific gene with um, eczema that's pretty specific.
1: Yeah, I'd love to hear about it.
0: So there's a gene called filagrin. And in eczema sufferers, the tendency is that about 30% of people have a SNP in this particular gene. However, it doesn't ultimately matter whether you have the SNP or not. So a SNP implies that the gene isn't functioning, not that the gene isn't functioning, but it doesn't code for the correct protein, that's also called filaggrin, that your skin uses as almost like the mortar mix between... So each think of each cell, and if it was a brick wall, there's mortar mix between each cell, right? It helps keep this nice barrier. But what happens if the mortar mix is kind of faulty? Like Maybe you didn't put enough water in it so it was too dry and it starts to crumble. It's sort of the same case with filaggrin. When it's not coated for correctly, we have this sort of faulty filaggrin that reduces the barrier, the ability of the skin to be that barrier that we need it to be. And so you end up with with what's called um, leaky skin syndrome. And that's pretty common with people who have eczema. Now, here's the thing: what if you don't? What if you're like, okay, well, I want to get tested. I want to know. Well, it doesn't matter. I, I've actually talked to dermatologists who know a heck of a lot about this on my podcast. And one interesting thing is that what you do from an inflammatory perspective actually plays a role in whether, even if you have a normal filaggrin gene, will code correctly. So the more inflammation that there is, there will be a decrease in how well the filagrin in your body is produced. And one very specific way, and I know everybody's going to be like, what? It's itching. And unfortunately, the more you itch your skin, the more inflammation, so it's mechanical inflammation that's created, and that can decrease the ability for the gene to code correctly, no matter whether you have a healthy Mm -hmm. gene or the correct gene or not. But the internal inflammation also plays a role. So if you have a lot of inflammatory processes going on for whatever reason, that will also play a role. So you have to look at skin really, truly from the inside out and the outside in. It really is a two-pronged approach. It's not just from one direction. Both directions impact each other. And so genes play a role, but more, the more the focus has to be on how do we stop or slow down inflammation. We also have to think about heavy metal exposure, stress. I talked about my college days, so stress is a huge factor here. Mitochondrial dysfunction, so if your little power plants aren't functioning correctly, that plays, a, hu- plays a huge role. Environmental toxins, um, liver detox challenges, which I briefly mentioned about the Caffeine. If you don't have enough of certain nutrients for, say, the glycine pathway or glutathione, that can certainly play a role. Past traumas are a huge piece to this that a lot of people discount because they say, oh, it's in the past. But thyroid dysfunction, drug reactions, and hormone imbalances as well also all play a role, depending on where you are in your cycle. I think what you did was really smart. You tracked things. And a lot of people don't. They assume that there is just a heck of a lot of chaos going on in their skin issues. And when you start to track things, not just from a food perspective, but also as a woman from a cycle perspective, that sometimes can give us clues as to what's going on.
1: I didn't know there was hormonal eczema until I saw a provider, because when I was tracking, everything was food, chemicals, laundry detergent... And so when I think of this and tell me if this is accurate is the pathways of detoxification. So the liver, the kidneys, the gut, when those aren't functioning properly, the overflow, the overload will start to present in other organ systems like mm-hmm. lungs, sinuses and skin. Yep. And when I eventually got like my hormones checked and my thyroid I had a uh, Hashimoto's, once I started to kind of tick things off the list like Kill some parasites, (laughs) clean up some heavy metal toxicity from back when when I used to roof and do construction work with my dad. And then, I mean, it was such a long process, just like you were saying, like a year. And I was like, okay, it's six months, it's nine months, It's a year and then things started to get better. Is that an accurate perception? Like our organs of detoxification aren't doing their job. And so it kind of presents in other parts of the body?
0: I don't think it's that they're not doing their job. I think they are really overloaded. And I think that that's one of the biggest challenges. Like if your gut has parasites in it or Mm -hmm. it has a gut infection, you can't expect food to fix that. I mean, there are botanicals and herbs that can help. I think we forget about those and we're like, well, those aren't food. I mean, you eat them. So one could argue they are food. Yeah, But a lot of times we want to fix all those problems with food alone and you can't. So if the gut is challenged because it has something there that shouldn't be, or you're not, so you're constipated. I mean, most people are not pooping Correctly. They're either on one side where they're pooping way too much. So they're like on the diarrhea side or they're super constipated. And by the way, if no one has said this, we'll just say it, you should poop like one to three times a day. You shouldn't be straining. That's a really important because that's also a barometer of what's going on internally. So transit time is important. But if your liver also doesn't have the necessary ingredients that I was talking about. In order to tackle certain things, like toxins being... So say you got the gut issue, right? You've got, Say we've got, for example, E. coli. I've, I have a lot of clients this happens to. They'll have too much E. coli that grew in their gut. And it is a, a commensal bacteria, but it's also very opportunistic. And everybody's got a different story of how they ended up here. But either way, you've got too much E. coli. It's not an infection, but it's dysbiotic. Well, the E. coli put off a heck of a lot of byproducts that your liver then has to deal with. So not only are you releasing those waste products out the urine, but it's also being sent to the liver. The liver's got to deal with it. It sometimes will make things more toxic before it then makes it urine water-soluble so you can pee them out. So either way, we've got to have those systems that eliminate byproducts moving and flowing. So yes, you need to drink plenty of water as well. That said, when your hormones aren't able to be, and actually we poop our hormones out, believe it or not. We don't, we don't urinate them out. We poop them out. So estrogen specifically, your liver is tasked with turning estrogen off. It sends it through bile into your gallbladder where you know bile's concentrated and then it's going to squirt it out when you eat food. Well, what happens if some of those bugs in your gut have the enzyme to be able to turn the estrogen back on? it's reabsorbed. So you can't get rid of your estrogen. And I actually had a client last week, she had the highest level of that enzyme that I've seen in any clients. It's specifically called beta-glucuronidase. And that enzyme, some bacteria have. And so right there, you could have a gut issue that's then impacting your skin because this client is coming to me for eczema. And she's got a hormonal imbalance issue because now she's got way too much estrogen as a result of not being able to get rid of it. So they all are connected. We are one body.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So like where would someone start if they're looking for labs that would get covered by insurance to figure out what's going on with their skin?
0: One thing I would say is you should be getting labs run every single year, by the way. It's not for people who are just sick. (laughs) You can use them to help track your health and see progress and see things, trends start to happen. But I would say a CBC panel to look at your blood cells, that can also give us some nutrient information, things like iron and folate and B12 for example, sometimes vitamin C. And then we also want to look at a a CMP or comprehensive metabolic panel to take a look at just generally speaking, how are the liver and kidneys doing? And that's really simple and basic. But then if we can drill down further, I love to see things like a full iron panel, vitamin A, serum vitamin A is really important because that impacts the skin there's also some really great research demonstrating that vitamin A levels impact your gut and your gut health and it the communication between the gut microbe community and flipping the switch to autoimmunity, shockingly enough. And it also impacts your thyroid. So vitamin A is critical. I'd say vitamin D, serum vitamin D is also helpful. I also like to look at B12 and folate are always helpful. And then homocysteine, it's a great functional marker for looking at vitamin B6 and seeing if you have enough to really move things around it. And B6 is critical for doing a heck of a lot of stuff. So that's a really great marker. From there, one more recent lab that was brought to my attention that you could ask for, might be covered, is the ratio between omega-3 to omega-6. And some labs will do it, It's just your doctor's going to have to write for it. And there is some interesting correlations between the excessive amount of omega 6 in the system compared to omega 3 because omega 6s are pro inflammatory. One of my colleagues, actually had shared with me. She said, from Chinese medicine, you really want to be careful with chicken. If you're consuming a lot of chicken and you're omega-6 dominant because it has a higher concentration of omega-6s compared to omega-3s. So things like grass-fed beef would be a better choice or or cold water fish because they have a higher concentration of omega-3s in them compared to omega-6s. So just looking at different things like that can be really helpful. And there's also a whole bunch of other labs. Like I have a great article that outlines all of the different labs that you can ask your regular doctor for. Probably your dermatologist will not run these because they (laughs) apparently most of them will say, I don't run labs. I don't know why. (laughs) So most likely your PCP or family doctor would be a good fit. And then there's also for those who are like, I want to look deeper because conventional labs really only look one side of things. There are functional labs that can be incredibly helpful that I use in my practice and I actually have a great little cheat sheet that tells you exactly which labs they are and how to get a hold of them.
1: Yeah. And we'll include those in the show notes so all the listeners can download it. Yeah. Yeah. What would be three things that listeners could do right now, right? Right at the end of the podcast to start rebuilding just like a healthier skin?
0: All right. So stop using coconut oil on your skin. (laughs) (laughs) And if it's like one of the top ingredients in your skincare, so look at the ingredients in your skincare. If it's one of the top ingredients, that's probably not a good fit for you. Just give it away maybe later on when your skin's better, Um, but not right now. I would say that. Number two, you got to make a laundry list. And it always is a laundry list of all the symptoms that you have that are even outside of your skin. And then when you even get to you know your eczema, your psoriasis, or whatever it is that you have, then start to get very clear on what your specific symptoms are like for your condition. Because the way that I had experienced eczema may be different from the way that you do. And so it's important to be able to share all of that. And then start thinking about what do you think is wrong? I mean, I know that maybe everyone listening isn't necessarily a doctor or anything, but to be a detective, you have to start tuning into that inner intuition and saying, What do i think is wrong it might you might not be right but you might actually help a practitioner figure out what some of the missing connections are as a result of you just really paying attention and listening and the last thing i would say is clean up your diet if you haven't done so already and include things like collagen can be really helpful if you are comfortable doing dairy ghee specifically is high in butyrate. So that can be a really great option to cook with or add to your shakes as your protein source. I love collagen. I love doing a lot of protein for my clients because oftentimes they've cut protein out so far that they don't have enough protein available to them to actually help their skin rebuild. Because if you're rebuilding any type of tissue, you do need more protein and oftentimes people feel better. So I tell clients who are not working out If you're looking for a target, it would be somewhere around like 70 to 80 grams of protein a day. But obviously, Emily, you would probably, for somebody who's working out and really active, you know, I'm sure that you've probably talked about what their targets should be for that. That's not my area of expertise.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So what do you think of, because we have a lot of listeners who are like new moms with babies, Mm -hmm. and I go into a lot of the Facebook groups, and a lot of the moms are saying, my baby has eczema, you know, baby's like under one year old, right? And I'm thinking, and they're asking, what cream should I put on my baby? And I'm thinking, well, it's like a two-part process here. There's obviously something creating some inflammation that could present on the baby's skin. It's probably in the mom's diet if they're still breastfeeding. What would you tell that mother? Because sometimes I feel like I want to go into that Facebook group and then I'm like, I'm going to get kicked out if I ever (laughs) write what I actually want to (laughs) write.
0: Part of the issue here, and I, I say this I'm not a mom, I'm an aunt. So there's that. But here's the thing, and you have to take a step step back from feeling judged in this moment, but you have to remember that the microbiome that the baby has came from you. And so if your microbiome was not in its most healthy state, and again, no judgment here, this is just just take the, the emotion out of this, just the steps and facts along the way, then it is highly likely that the baby may have taken on some of those issues from mom. Now, the other thing to consider, I don't see kids, but one of my colleagues does. And she's actually seen a really high incidence of kids who actually have parasites, like pinworms and all sorts of stuff. Hmm. They repeatedly keep picking up from the animals in the household. It's not to say, I love animals. I have four cats. (laughs) So I'm not saying get rid of your animals, but you do have, like maybe if you have a dog, maybe you're wiping the dog's paws down before they come in the house. Doing whatever you can to minimize what's being tracked into the home. Take your shoes off at the door. The shoes do not come through the home. Because think about it, kids touch everything and put it in their mouth. So that can certainly be a factor. Absolutely what mom eats if they're still breastfeeding could be a factor. So you may want to kind of track that. Another really interesting thing, and I'll just throw this out there, is you could try something like Megaspore topically. If you have a regular probiotic, you could also try that. But this has been something really cool that moms have reported back to me who've listened to my podcast and such that they would apply some like olive oil, for example, like one of the oils, the good oils to use, not coconut oil. and <laughs> Not then, coconut. <laughs> not coconut oil. And then open a capsule and just sprinkle a light sprinkling and put that over top the area where it's obviously a little sticky because of the oil, and let it just sit. And a, a number of people have said that they've noticed a real decrease in symptoms to the point where at least it got the child not itching as much, and they were more comfortable and able to sleep. Again, not a fix. But it's helping us get on the road to someplace else where we we would rather be. The reduction in inflammation, the reduction of symptoms, and at least that way you can start to look deeper and say, okay, are there potentially some nutrient issues here? Are there some detox challenges? With kids, I'll just say this for moms listening, kids and babies, you address them differently than you would adults. So if you go online and you're like, oh, for if I think the child has leaky gut, then I should give him L-glutamine. Don't do that. You should <laughs> not give a young child or a baby L-glutamine. You have to be really careful with that. You have to be very careful with essential oils. And I say this because a lot of times we assume that because we're adults, we'll just like quarter or eighth the dose. And there are some things you don't give to young children. So you want to make sure that the recommendations that you get are specific to babies and young kids. And that if you do work with someone, they've really had experience working on skin issues and skin cases in that particular age group or population. It's super critical, not just, oh, I'm seeing a naturopath. Oh, I'm seeing a functional doctor. I've also seen a lot of uh, other patients who have ended up not either not getting better or getting worse because they didn't really understand the intricacies amongst all these different systems and they were only looking at it from a very specific lens. Things don't necessarily get better if you just go the functional medicine route. I wish that they did. I would love to believe that, but unfortunately my experience has been a little shown me otherwise. Yeah. So
1: so where can people find you? You have so many great resources <laughs> online and you're like on every channel. <laughs> a social channel out there. It's amazing.
0: My website Skinterrupt is a great place to start. I also have another website, jenniferfugo.com. The Skinterrupt website is specific to skin issues and it's not just eczema, psoriasis, seborrheic dermatitis. We look at Tinea Versicolor, Vitiligo, we look at a lot of different skin conditions. And then there's the Healthy Skin Show, which is my podcast. And that's a biweekly, so twice a week show that you can tune into on, on iTunes and a bunch of different platforms. And then I'm, my main spot, I'm on Facebook and whatnot, but really Instagram, if you want to connect with me, that's probably the best spot because that's really me and I respond to everybody and that's the best way. And that's like your name. Yes.
1: Yes. Okay. Cool. Well, thank you so much. I feel like we've lived like parallel skin lives. <laughs> and it's been it's so informative to be, be healing from the inside out and also the outside in. So yeah.
0: thank you. Well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. And if anybody has any questions, I'm happy to answer them too, whether it's on this podcast post or wherever. I don't think people deserve in this day and age to continue suffering because I don't understand why we don't have better options. It's way too late in the yeah. game. Yeah. You got to get with the program and and get people better because when your skin's messed
1: up, it's no fun. 100% agree. (laughs) That's a wrap. I have two truths that I fully believe in. First, to be 1% better every single day. And second, all feedback is good feedback because it helps us grow. Why do I say this? If you're enjoying these conversations and you find this is adding value, send us some love by subscribing to muscle medicine podcast on iTunes. And if you want to share your voice with the world and scream it from the rooftops and tell your friends, or you can just give us a little feedback so we can grow by rating and reviewing muscle medicine on iTunes. Thank you guys. So much gratitude. Dr. Emily Kybert here.